Welcome to the MGO Show. I'm your host, Eric Sal Domingo, and joining me today is the founder and content manager at Biotics for Everyone, Wayne Williams. He has a long career, or he has had a long career in data analytics software development, but found his passion for technology in bionics to help people with physical and neurological disabilities. Today's episode is brought to you on behalf of the Amputee Coalition of Toronto, a peer support group committed to providing advocacy and support for those in the limb loss and limb different communities. April is Limb Loss Awareness Month, and this episode is presented on behalf of Amputee Coalition of Toronto's education program. In this episode, we'll be discussing the different bionic prosthesis for lower limb extremities. Welcome to the show, Wayne, and thank you for being here. Yeah, nice to be here, Sam. Great. So, Wayne, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, why sparked or what sparks bionics for everyone? Yeah, it was a combination of factors. Uh, it was uh, in part because I had been working in data analytics for over three decades, and I, I wanted to do something more meaningful to help help people. Uh, I've always been a tech junkie, uh, and also I uh, I'm Canadian, but I I, I live uh, also in Thailand, so I'm back and forth. And uh, and being in Southeast Asia, I, I see some countries where where the uh, prosthesis programs are not as advanced. Uh, and I can, you know, compared to Canada, where you at least have access to more advanced uh, prosthetics. And um, I wanted to do something to help. And I, and I, uh, well, I started to dig into that. Uh, I found that the um, end users of prosthetics all over the world really don't have access to a lot of great uh, information, uh, especially just in layperson language. They either have uh, commercials essentially from manufacturing or promotional material, or they have uh, scientific studies. And so um, I decided as the first step of helping, I was going to fill that gap and, uh, and help people understand their technology options free of commercial bias or influence. Great. Right. No, that's that's really good. More information out there, the better. Right. So let's talk lower limb then um, in your research uh, with knee, ankles and foot. Um, how many different products are there out in the market now? I think we're at uh, uh, 17. Uh, let me see. I think we've got seven um, uh, ankles or ankle. We, we call them bionic ankles feet. So they're, they're a microprocessor controlling the ankle, but it also controls the angle of the foot uh, and also the resistance in the foot. So there are seven of those. And I think there are 10 uh, microprocessor knees. So 17 in total. Wow. I didn't even know there was 10. I thought there was only three uh, knees out there. And, and we can certainly get into that. But before we get into that, can you share with us sort of in layman's terms, how bionic lower limbs prosthetics work? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because they, uh, they're they kind of uh, 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 almost the polar opposite of the upper limb bionics. So in upper limb bionics, the whole emphasis is on connecting the bionic device to the human brain. Uh, we want that device to carry out the, the, the tasks that the, the brain commands. Uh, and uh, we want for sensory feedback to come back to, to help sort of inform um, the brain of what is going on so it can adjust. But the lower limb bionics is completely different. Um, it is predicated on uh, using local sensors uh, and local microprocessor to control the joints. So, so for example, in the case of um, a bionic foot or bionic ankle foot, uh, these microprocessors, they can uh, measure the angle uh, of the foot. They can measure the speed of the limb. There's a gyroscope on it. Um, and when the foot makes contact with the ground, uh, if it's a flat surface, uh, the sensors will detect that. If the surface is, say, a ramp, it'll detect that. And these sensors are reading uh, all of this data, uh, this kind of environmental data, if you will, or, or data about the, about the uh, prosthesis itself. And they're feeding it into a microprocessor. It could be 100 times a second. 
And then the, the microprocessor um, is uh, doing a couple of things. Uh, number one, it is, because um, most of these are hydraulic devices. So they use hydraulic fluid to, to, to alter the resistance of uh, say the foot and the ankle joint. Uh, and it is adjusting that hydraulic resistance according to, you know, maybe you're on a ramp um, uh, or what portion of what we call the stance phase. So, so in a natural gait, you have a stance phase and a swing phase. The swing phase is the foot is in the air. The stance phase is from the moment your heel makes contact, contact until you roll over that foot onto the toe and then eventually push off into the swing phase. So all during that phase, that stance phase, these microprocessors, depending on what kind of terrain you're on, what kind of speed you're walking, what kind of et cetera, um, will adjust the hydraulic resistance uh, in that ankle slash foot throughout the entire stance phase. And then depending on the device uh, and the level as well that we're talking about here, whether it's a, a, an ankle foot or a knee, uh, it will also adjust the foot angle during um, the swing phase. So if it knows, for example, that you're on a ramp, it's going to you know, turn those toes up. Some of the devices will turn those toes up a little higher so you don't, you don't stumble. Uh, during the swing phase. And as I said, it'll manage that res resistance. Now, when I say manage, I'll give you an example. If you're going up a ramp, for example, it'll increase the resistance on the back part of the foot, on the heel, uh, and it, but it'll decrease the resistance on the foot because you uh, on the front of the foot because if you think about it, you're in an upward ramp. And that's what you want. You want the foot to move a little easier, um, but you want the back to be a little bit stiffer. If you're going down a ramp, it'll do the opposite. Right, it'll stiffen on the on the toe uh, to give you a little bit more support, and it'll it'll uh, make it easier for the heel to rise. And so that's what it's doing; it's managing those factors. And is that um, so? You mentioned the knee. So the knees do do the do those as well, right? It levels you out, like so. Let's say um, as a, as, a, as a lower limb, if you're about to fall, so it can adjust from the knee if you're an above knee amputee using um, a microprocessor knee. Yes. Yeah. So what it'll do is it'll is, is if it detects that you're going to fall, like if you go to stumble and text that, uh, it'll stiffen the resistance in the knee to give you support so that you don't complete the fall. But what it's doing in there uh, before, I mean, stumble recovery is kind of an uh, exception, like an anomaly, right? So something has happened uh, and the, the device detects it and then it stiffens the joint so that you, as I said, you've got that support. But really most of the time what it's doing is, is actually managing uh, shock absorption and, uh, and all the way through the, 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 the stance phase uh, until uh, push-off and even the timing of push-off. In other words, when you move from the stance phase to the swing phase, you want to do things like you want to re release the resistance in the knee so the knee swings freely, right? So, so it do doesn't become um, sort of too uh, sluggish uh, during the, the swing phase. So it's managing all of these issues for you. And when we talk about the shock absorption, by the way, you know, most people don't think about this uh, with, their, with their natural leg. But that heel comes down. Uh, you can imagine there's a, there's a point of impact there. Well, the entire leg, the, the foot, the, the, the ankle, the knee, the thigh, the muscles are all absorbing that shock. And they're doing it in a very fluid way so that as that foot rolls forward and you're, you're shifting the weight from the heel you know, through the foot until you're right over top of the foot and back as the foot goes behind you and you're on the toe of the foot, all of these things are automatically adjusting in a natural leg to make the smoothest possible natural gait, the least shock absorption, the least jarring effect on your, your joints and your body as a whole, and, and uh, the transference uh, as well of, uh, of, um, of power. Because when you step on a natural foot um, and uh, you, know, you go through that stance phase, you're actually recoiling the foot. And you're storing energy, and then uh, as you push it off, the tendons release, and that energy releases and helps you lift your leg. Uh, so, all of these things are being managed instead by the microprocessor. Right. Maybe before we get into combinations of 
Now, I, I intimated that I've only known of two or three microprocessor needs, and you said there are 17. What is, I guess, common across them, and, and what are separates one from the other or something unique about one or the other? So, so actually, there are 10 microprocessor knees and seven microprocessor ankle slash feet, 17 devices in total. Uh, so the, the common thing is, um, well, we have to sort of separate these, these groups. But if we take the knees, for example, um, the common thing is the methodology is the most part over the most part is, is Sam using local sensors. Uh, they're trying to adjust the, the resistance in the knee. Uh, during the stance phase and they're trying to some of them try to adjust uh, certain factors during the swing phase um, as in uh, the resistance in, in the knee as, as the uh, leg swings forward might be that as it swings forward to its maximum point it begins to stiffen again in preparation for the shock of, of, of the, the impact of the stance phase uh, so that's all pretty much common uh, with uh, one exception um, almost all of those devices are using uh, hydraulics right to manage resistance um, there is, uh, I won't get the pronunciation of this right, uh, but the real knee uses a magnetic fluid. So um, a special magnetic fluid. And what there are there, it's, it's the internal design has these blades and essentially it, it, it um, magnetizes them, and the fluid itself. And then it becomes sort of little bridges form between the blades and it stiffens. So they're both managing resistance, uh, but there are those two variations of the technology, one being this magnetic fluid and the other one being, um, you know, most of them being hydraulic. So that's that's pretty much common about them. They're they're all uh, using microprocessors. They're all using all using sensors, and they're all trying to manage the same thing. And the other thing would be the stumble recovery. So that detection of you know you caught your foot. Your you know you, your uh, reaction is to go on your knee. If you if you don't stiffen that knee immediately, uh, once you detect stumble recovery, you will likely fall. Right, and then on the um, ankle foot combo. Right. So they're, they're trying to do the same thing, but from a different perspective, if you think about it. So both the ankle and the knee are trying and the foot are trying to manage, you know, the, the resistant levels through the stance phase. And uh, the difference being that, um, you know, in the, in the feet, uh, depending on the feet, but in the feet, you generally have, um, uh, you know, carbon fiber feet that are, are doing the energy storage and release. Uh, there is one exception to that, the Empire ankle, which actually uses um, electrical power to help push off. Um, so you're, you're, you have the same goals, which is to manage through the, 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 uh, the stance phase and possibly to elevate the toes during the swing phase so you don't trip your, catch your toe on something. Um, it's just they're doing it from different perspectives. And from your research or, and your user research, and we've talked about that on our last episode about Bionics for everyone is, is concerned or, or doing research from a user end. I've heard of combinations of using a microprocessor knee for an above the knee, a microprocessor knee and a microprocessor ankle at the same time. Yes. And then there's folks who use a microprocessor knee and then a, your traditional um, um, fiberglass or um, carbon, fiber uh, carbon fiber feet. Yeah. Um, what are your user feedback that you've seen that's you know, one is better than the other, or the other one cancels out the other, and so on. Well, I I uh, I think there are relatively few users of uh, the combination of a bionic knee and a, and a bionic ankle slash foot. Um, and I I when it has occurred, um, like there's a product called the Lynx from Blatchford, uh, where they're integrated. So the knee and the ankle are integrated, which makes a lot of sense because um, otherwise you might have compatibility issues. So, so if you're using an autobock knee, you might be limited to the autobock ankles. I, I think it's really a question, like I said to you, they're both trying to achieve the same thing, 
from um, you know a different perspective. The perspective being that one's a knee joint, one's an ankle uh, joint slash foot. So I you know for those who have a, a above the knee amputation, they're obviously going to have the microprocessor knee. Uh, would be the common thing. And then to combine that with a mechanical foot. And one of the reasons for that is that the mechanical foot uh, does a fairly good job of playing its role uh, in that system when the microprocessor knee is already controlling um, a lot of factors, like uh, like I said, the, the, uh, the stance phase and the swing phase. It's already controlling that uh, from the microprocessor. So I think there is a benefit when they're integrated, like with the links. They're, depending on the combination of, of knee and foot, there could be a benefit. Uh, but these things are expensive. So most above the knee amputees are using bionic knee, microprocessor knee with, with a mechanical foot. And most below the um, uh, knee amputees are using the, if they're using a bionic device, of course, it's just the bionic ankle foot. Right. Well, I mean, I have, I have tried, and we've talked about that before, and maybe we could bring it into this conversation. I've tried um, microprocessor ankle foot combos. Um, yes. And like I said, I've tried the Empower and the Meridian foot. Um, yes. That, not so much describing the, the difference between the two of just what an Empower is and what a, what a Meridian foot is, but what are the other ones that are similar to the two that would be unique to one? So, for example, um, you know, what's Oser's version of the Empower and what is the technology that's different from those two to something like... Uh, the Meridian and another version of, of Osher on that foot. So, so the Empower is a totally unique beast as an ankle foot because it has power assist. So what it's actually doing is it's not just like, like most of the ankles, it's not just managing uh, the resistance through the stance phase uh, and then building up um, energy on some sort of carbon fiber foot to release at the time of push-off. It's actually got electrical power that augments the push-off, right? So just like, just like your, your muscles do, uh, in a natural leg. And so this, this, uh, for those that, that, um, you know, uh, are, are well suited for the empower ankle, uh, they tend to love it because going up the stairs, for example, uh, it's a lot easier for them because they've got that power assist on the stairs. Um, it tends to do, do the same thing on any kind of, uh, uneven terrain where you're going up and down a slope, uh, up and down rocky terrain. And we, we have, uh, on our article on the empower ankle, we've got videos of, uh, somebody literally running up and down the stairs, uh, just as if they had uh, both natural legs, double amputee below the knee, running up and down the stairs uh, like at a rapid clip, uh, as if there's as if they have their natural um, legs, and we've seen them do it up rocky slopes. I mean, you know, to the point where, to be honest with you, I have both my natural legs. I'm not sure I could run up the severe rocky slope any better than the guy wearing those empire ankles and other things which are you know really quite difficult from a balanced standpoint kind of uh, mounds of hay you know it's a sp sort of a or peat which are really springy substance and you need to be like you know really sure of your balance uh, even somebody with natural uh, legs and feet who who has you know loose shoes might turn an ankle in that situation but uh with the empire ankle i mean they're just running up and down like it's nothing so it's an extraordinary device it's also extraordinarily expensive it's $50,000 US per ankle. And so of course the, the users right now tend to be limited to those who are, uh, and it's not, not approved by the US um, um, payer system yet. So uh, they tend to be limited to uh, veterans, uh, workman's compensation or possibly accident insurance. 
Right. So the other the other ones, so because we've got uh, two from uh, like Elan and Elan IC from Blatchford. Uh, we've got the Connects was from Freedom Innovations, and I believe it's now with Protier USA. The Meridium is Autobach. The Proprio is Oser's version. Uh, and then uh, Flower has one, uh, I think it's their motion control. It's a raised foot. And, and those devices, aside from the Empower, are all, you know, they, they're all variations on the same sort of design model. Again, it's the, you know, microprocessor sensors, uh, hydraulic resistance. Right, so it's just basically user choice at that point and, and what they want to do with them. Yeah, well, there'd be a couple of things that are, are different, like the Elan and the Elan IC. I think, I think the IC is waterproof. I think the Connects is waterproof. I have to review that, but some are waterproof and some aren't. So that would be a distinction between them. Right, so that's going to be my next question is, so um, one of the things I've heard on this, and, and again, when I was trying out those feet, was that it works on a certain temperature, um, it overheats a lot, and you can get even a sprinkle of water on them. So if this, you know, the terrains in Canada where we get snow uh, and snow gets into your, your boot or whatever it may be, that that would severely damage the inner workings of the foot. So I guess, um, is one, is there any truth to that? Um, and then, do, do you know, as a user, do you, do you then just have, okay, well, if I live in this type of climate and not so dusty, then... I can afford and I can afford this this foot, then I'll invest in one. But if I'm outside of that climate zone, then it doesn't make sense for me to get one. Oh, it's a, it's a huge factor. So, for example, the Empire I talked about, which is you know so capable, so expensive, but it's it's not a foot that will you know you don't want to water anywhere near the device. Uh, the Connects has an IP67 rating, so it's it's, it's highly water and dust resistance. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Elan IC is, but the Elan is not. Um, and I, I, you know, if I, apologies if I make a mistake trying to rhyme off all these different features and stuff. But uh, so there's quite a difference there uh, in in terms of uh, water and dust proof uh, between the devices. Quite a difference, uh, and that's one of the major factors. But the, probably the biggest single thing is, as I mentioned to you, you know, you've got these sensors, you've got a microprocessor, you've got software in there that is is dictating how the foot responds. Uh, and we'll, again, we'll limit this to the ankles for the moment, ankles and feet. So just as with the upper limbs, you know, every lower residual limb is unique to the individual, the musculature, the shape, everything. These control systems all have their quirks. Some are better at things than others. Some just handle them better. And so, you know, one of the things we always advocate to, to uh, end users who are shopping for a bionic device like this is you go into your process and you say, hey, I, I want you to get me a test session on all of these. Okay. Because you want to wear them, you want to you want to feel that compatibility, um, and I, most of them have loaner programs and stuff and, te and test units that you can use, and you want to see which one suits you the best. So aside from the waterproof issue, aside from the sorry budgetary issue, because uh, aside from the, uh, the the Empower, which is expensive, the other ones all tend to be in a similar price range, and that and that has to do with the fact that they only have so much um, sort of allowance on the U.S. healthcare system. Uh, in terms of the uh, reimburse, reimbursement rate. Um, so you've got the financial decision you've got to make, you've got the decision whether you want to have waterproof or not. And then the thing that you really must do is you really must test them all against your residual limb and the way that you walk to make sure, hey, that's the best fit for me. Right. I've tried both and I, I would share this here now. Um, the big chunky one, uh, the, which is the Empower, I yeah. thought wasn't for me yeah. um, because I... I like the fact that I control what I'm lifting my foot off the ground, 
Whereas I yeah. felt it was a little bit more, you know, just a couple of seconds, not even maybe a second ahead of me, and it was throwing off my gait. Yeah. Um, whereas the Meridian foot, I felt I had full control of that. Um, See, this as is I was this is a, this is a perfect example about the compatibility issue because I, I tell you, most most below the knee amputees would 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 die for an Empower ankle, okay, just because of its capabilities. But if it's not compatible with you, I mean, you're younger, you're more athletic, and you've got you've got really strong control over over your your prosthesis. Uh, so, you know, you say, well, I don't need that power assist. It just interferes with my natural gait. You know, if you didn't try that, you wouldn't know. And, and so just like that little difference is, is meaningful to you, there'll be more subtle differences with the other devices uh, for people. It might be the ankle, the range of motion, uh, where some have a broader range of motion than others. So all of these things, um, you know, again, it's a compatibility issue. And that's why end users should never let somebody talk them into, oh, I think this is the right one for you. Here it is. We'll jam it on you and away you go. No, no. There are seven options for ankles. Make sure you, you test uh, each one of them and figure out which one is the best for you. And really, you don't have, might have to be seven. If you want a waterproof device, you know, you, you, you might be down to two or three. I forget the other one if it's waterproof or not, but you might be down to two or three, but test all of them and, uh, and just assure yourself that you have the right device. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so let's move on to knees because knees become more, I think, um, are getting further down into the technology of microprocessor. There are knees that you can submerge in water. And yeah. I think maybe all of them are submergible in water. Now, I don't know. You tell me. No, no, they're not. Uh, the, the one that really stands out uh, as the waterproof knee is uh, the Genium X3. Uh, an incredible, I mean, I, I have uh, on our uh, article on the X3 on our website. Again, we have videos. We've got one video of a guy. He's walking a ledge in a waterfalls. I mean, you know how confident you have to be on a very slippery surface, surface like that. He's walking, he's swimming, he's diving into the water, and he's doing everything. And, 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 and um, on the woodland route, I mean, he's hopping on logs and these rocks and everything. I mean, it's basically you're looking at this and you're going, oh, God, this guy can do anything with this knee. And, you know, you're right. Uh, it's also a $100,000 knee. So it's, it's incredibly expensive. And the reason the technology was developed to that sort of high standard uh, was because it was developed for the military, right? So it was, it was to allow people to return to service. And so it was, it was incredibly advanced. Now, you know, what's exciting about that is, is uh, of course, $100,000 and it's not accessible to most people and that's disappointing. But we have to remember that these devices, these, these technologies have to be developed first before we can trickle, get them to trickle down into lower cost devices. And, and be more accessible to everybody. So I kind of get excited when I see, when I see an above the knee amputee doing these extraordinary things. You're thinking to yourself, you know, wow, we're closer uh, to eliminating uh, the disability aspect of, of uh, an above the knee amputation. Uh, that's proof. Um, now we just have to get that so that's affordable to everybody. Right, and so just speaking of affordability, they go from how much to how much? Like, give us a, a nice range of, of these. And I guess... And, and, and that would go thinking about, you know, just the upper limb one as well, depending on the functionalities that it provides, or are there any unique things that, that sort of would separate one from the other, or why would one cost more than the other? So, so again, we get the, the waterproof issue on, on these devices, certainly the dust proof, how rugged they are. Um, but uh, there are a different, a couple of different um, uh, sort of technological aspects. For example, uh, most of these knees, in fact, most of these devices uh, as a rule, um, are designed for K3 users, so on, a, on a, you know the K level rating system. But Autobach has a Knievo knee; it's the first knee 
which is designed uh, specifically for lower mobility, sort of half speed walkers. And you know the, the, the excitement about this is, is um, uh, so people with uh, diabetic vascular diseases uh, who traditionally uh, didn't have a bionic device made for them, because um, they're, again, there was lower mobility if the, if, if the disease is advanced enough. And um, here we have a disease now for some, say, say somebody who's older, uh, who, who uh, is moving at half speed, but now this device was designed specifically for that. Uh, the Rio knee um, was designed with a different uh, technology, not the hydraulics, but this magnetic fluid. Well, the thing about that magnetic fluid is it's much faster to respond. You know, so when the microprocessor uh, adjusts a hydraulic joint, it's a very reliable thing from a resistance standpoint. But the magnetic knees, you run a current through it, and and the the little bridges form between the blades and the in the real knee, and it's almost instantaneous. So um, that knee is uh, doesn't have the sluggishness of a hydraulic knee. And so if you're very athletic, and you know you you've got good control of your so you're above the knee amputee, but you've got good control of your residual limb, you've got good strength, and you know you want to kick that leg forward, and, and it's kind of an athletic kind of motion. That knee will follow along much more quickly uh, for you and respond more quickly than a hydraulic knee will. And uh, so the couple of differences there. But uh, aside from those differences, uh, and there is one uh, as well, there's a power knee, um, I think from Autobach, oh, no, so from Oser, um, a power knee. And uh, it also has power augmentation, sort of the same principle as the Empower ankle uh, for, for someone who uh, doesn't have the muscular strength and needs a little bit of power assistance. So we've got um, the waterproof issue. Uh, we've got a slightly different technology in, in, in managing the resistance. Uh, which, uh, you know, depends on how athletic you are. We've got uh, a slightly different uh, technology for, uh, you know, the lower mobility for the first time, which is really exciting. Uh, and um, uh, we've, then we have the basic issue of compatibility, which is the same as the ankle one, right? Is that these are all different systems or control systems. You know, you, you, gotta, you gotta take your subgroup of the things of the criteria that you have in your shopping list, and then you've got to insist on, on testing those needs. Mm-hmm. And then again, for for just a price comparison wise, they go from one hundred thousand dollars to one hundred twenty thousand dollars, or so. So the price ranges we have that the lower end, the Canevo, uh, is the twenty five thousand to thirty five thousand US, uh, all the way up. Uh, a lot of them are in the thirty to forty thousand range. Then there's a group in the forty to fifty. Uh, from then the sort of the upper end ones. Uh, again, you start to get into the more advanced, sophisticated knees. Uh, you know, 60 to 70, 60 to 80, 70 to 90, and then you get up to 100,000 plus for the Gen M. So quite a range there in price. Yeah, and, uh, I, I didn't realize that there, there's that much of a, a, a range uh, from the first one you said it was 25,000? Yeah, so the, the 25,000 to 35,000. And we give these price ranges because we can't be precise because of course each, each patient is different and there might be other factors. We try and get a, a sort of slot them in a range. So at the very top is a JNM X3, great $100,000 plus at the bottom is that Canevo. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the lower end of the segment, there's the, the, what was the freedom information, uh, uh, innovations, plea need, the Blatchford Orient yeah, yeah. and, and the, the, the Protier Alex. Uh, and I think the plea has now become, I, 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 and they had to split their product line from Freedom when it got bought out by Autobach. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure whether the plea is with Autobach now or whether it's with Protier. Protier, I, I'm yeah. checking it. I'm yeah. not sure either. Yeah. Um, but everyone's talking about um, getting a Jenny Emney. You know, it's, it's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, as soon as you hear water talk or, you know, a sort of rough and tumble talk uh, where there's mud involved, sand involved, all of that. Um, it's like, you know, genium is your best knee uh, yeah. to, to manage that. Um, and so I guess just from technology, 
again, Autobot would be ahead of that game as far as um, where that goes. Um, but then there's also repair costs that comes along with that and breakage and limitations. What are those? And we talked about that in the upper limb. So I wanted to make sure that we, we discussed that for the lower limb ones as well. Yeah, we don't we don't have information on the specific repair costs yet. We are gathering, we are gaining information steadily through our user satisfaction surveys. So on our website, every single article we write about every device, which we're we've got to be up to almost 50 now, 50 different devices we're covering, or maybe it's more than that. Every article has embedded in it a user satisfaction survey. Very quick survey. It's just four questions on a free free form text box. And one of the questions in there is how many times have you had the device repaired? So that's our first gathering of real information from end users on this issue. Um, I, you know, we're, we're just sort of uh, uh, starting this process, but I, you know, at some point I may try and make that a little more sophisticated. I made it very quick. It's under 60 seconds. It's four questions just to get people to participate. Uh, and we are gathering a lot of important information uh, that we're going to publish. Um, but I would like to, to know as well more about the repair costs um, of these devices after they're out of warranty. Now, I will say that most of these devices come with a, with a two or three year warranty that can be extended at the user's option to typically as much as five or six years. And, you know, five years is kind of the general rough rule of thumb about the lifespan of these devices. So of all devices, all bonnet devices. Uh, so you can get them so that they're, they're under warranty. You have to pay for the extended warranty, but, but you can get them so that they are under warranty for the entire period. Mm -hmm. What has users reported uh, to you as far as breaking down of these devices? So they're, they're uh, not as bad as the bionic hands. And I'm speaking generically here because what happens on our user satisfaction surveys is we have to wait till we have a large enough sample size for an individual device before we publish the, the results of that device. So we're just trying to be fair, you know, make sure that we're, we're being accurate in our reporting. But um, I can speak generically is that um, uh, there are, there are uh, repair issues, but they're not as frequent as with the hands. So you, you get somebody who'll, you know, had the device for three years and had it repaired once. Uh, which isn't bad. And, and most of these companies uh, have a loaner program. So when you go in, um, you know, you, you, they, they, they take your existing leg and send off repair, but you're going to walk out with a replacement leg, a loaner leg. And so you're, you're not going to suffer any kind of uh, inconvenience as a result of that, other than having to pay a visit to the shop. Right. I guess, where do you see this technology going as far as the knees and uh, ankle feet goes? Yeah, so it's it's a very interesting thing because um, I think that you know I, I think I mentioned to you that the lower limb bionics have been more successful functionally than the upper limb bionics. Now, one could argue that the tasks are easier. You know, I mean, trying to manipulate the fingers to perform functions is a very complex task. Whereas, um, you know, trying to make sure that you adjust your resistance levels in your in your joints to 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 absorb um, shock. And um, you know, help you transition weight during the rollover and all that. That's a much easier task than it is to try and you know manipulate fingers. Um, so I don't think that they necessarily peaked in that area, but they've done such a good job of it, and they've been so successful, like stumble recovery and stuff, um, that you're going to see just tweaking. I think to that. the The issue uh, is that users also want to have um, a little proactive control. So everything about the lower bionic limbs is reactive. And, you know, they're very good at it, right? But let's just walk you through a scenario. Let's say that you're uh, approaching a, a ramp. And um, what you need to do with most of these devices uh, is that you need to take that first step on the ramp. 
And so you got to be very careful with that first step on the ramp because you know you're the one who is sort of managing everything, trying to get the proper foot placement um, by lifting your residual limb, and you get that foot placement, and it's only then, as you start that that foot process, uh, that you get uh, the uh, bionic device responding and saying, "Oh, you know, as we go through the step, we realize we're on a slope, and so we're going to adjust uh, things going forward to manage uh, that slope," um, and. A lot of users would like that first step, you know, to be uh, proactive, meaning that the, the user looks ahead, sees a ramp. As they approach that ramp, they, you know, they think I'm going to maybe tilt the angle of my foot upward on this first step, and I'm going to maybe change my uh, resistance. I'm going to prepare myself for the fact that I'm going to step on a ramp, not on flat ground. Now, the way this would be done is to use control uh, similar to the upper limb bionics. That is, the brain sends a signal to the muscles and the residual limb respond. Myoelectric sensors detect, they may be embedded in the muscles or they're on the skin surface, detect those signals, interpret those into commands and tell the foot to, uh, or the knee to make these adjustments just in that split second before you start the ascension of the ramp or any other different type of terrain. So it's really about that proactive um, element. And of course, I, I think, uh, you know, we are starting to see some, um, not just experimental, but we're starting to see some commercial versions of, of this kind of proactive control emerge. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a combination. You're going to have, yes, we're going to, you know, you've got your eyes and your brain, you know what's ahead, you know what sort of you want to do. And that's going to be communicated to the muscles as an intent. It's the, the leg and, and uh, the bionic components are going to respond, but then they're also going to respond reactively to whatever actually happens. And uh, how they reconcile that, I'm not sure, but I think that's the world that we're heading toward because I, I don't see them, you know, like stumble recovery is such an amazing, um, uh, you know, feature. I just don't see them backing away from that because, and that's something that can only be done reactively, right? And uh, so I, I, see, I think they're seeing, uh, you're going to see a combination of that. But uh, let's assume that they do that. Um, there's also a call and have been movement, some experiments and some, some products, at least in the trial phase. And I believe now moving in, into it commercially as well for sensory feedback. But this issue is actually really intriguing um, because sensory feedback in the truest sense where, you know, you're talking about uh, the foot making contact with the external world and getting information of that coming back to you may not be necessary in the same, uh, to the same extent that we envision for upper bionics, like for, for hands. And part of the reason is, uh, in our last interview, I mentioned to you, um, you know, this new procedure that's being developed, this agonist antagonistic uh, myoneural interface, uh, AMI for short. And uh, what's happening there is, um, you know, all of our joints in our body are controlled by muscle pairs, an agonist and an antagonist. And uh, like if I was to, you know, curl my arm, for example, and my bicep contracts, but my, my tricep in the back extends. This is true for every single joint in the body. So what they realize is that the way that the, the mind keeps track of the position of your limbs in space, like relative to the body and the motion, is that it, it's, it, the, when the muscle moves, when a muscle extended like that, the tricep extends, it's sending nerve signals to the brain to tell it that the arm's bent, right? And so the, the brain has this mental map of the body and it's getting this feedback from its own muscles, the, the signals being generated by the muscles through the nerves to the brain, and it keeps track of the body. And this is what allows you, for example, to close your eyes and you know, touch your finger to your nose, right? So they, they discovered that, you know, in an amputation, the problem is that the, you know, the, these uh, muscle pairs are removed. They're, they're severed, I should say. So they're no longer paired because they're no longer attached to the joint because the joint is gone. But they've discovered that if they recreate the muscle pairing through this AMI procedure, that the brain equates that muscle pairing to a joint. So it's, it's now a phantom joint, it's not a real joint. 
but so that when the brain thinks of, as I said, taking your foot and like tilting it upwards, the muscles work in the same, the pairs work in the same fashion they do in a natural leg. And the fact that they're moving this way gives feedback to the brain. So it knows the, the foot is pointed upward. Okay. So you can imagine for a second that if you're approaching, say, a set of stairs and you, what we do with, with natural legs is we look at the stairs and we sort of automatically compute the geometry of the stairs, right? And this information gets fed into our central nervous system. And so we might be talking or on a phone, uh, we might be looking around or whatever. It doesn't matter that we've computed all of this and it's communicated to our feet and our feet know how to ascend those stairs, even though we're not looking at them. And the only way it knows how to do that is to have the mental map of the stairs that you, you created when you glance at them, but it also has to have this proprioceptive map of where your limbs are in space. So if we think about AMI, now AMI has advanced to the point where we have nine test patients now, and I think it's gonna be a smashing success based on everything I've read so far. So it's gonna restore proprioceptive sense to the joints. Now you might say, well, the joint's missing. Okay, but what they do is they take the bionic limb, like in this case, the, the, you know, the knee or the ankle or whatever, and they essentially map it to that muscle pairing that's been restored in the residual limb. And they just correlate them. So that basically, if the brain thinks, in the case of an ankle or foot, if the brain thinks the foot's pointing upward, well, the bionic foot is just correlated to make sure it, point, it points upward in concert with that, okay? And this restores the brain's sense of awareness of the position of that foot, its position in space relative to the body. Now, what that means is, even without sensory feedback, right, you're approaching a set of stairs, and you've got AMI, and you've got a bionic device, you're back to where you were with natural legs. You glance at the stairs, compute the geometry, you know, tap away on your phone or whatever you're doing and walk up those stairs and, and your, your brain is going to navigate them the same way as it did before because it's now aware of the foot position, okay? And this is just a brilliant, exciting thing. Um, and, uh, but when you think about that now, if that's the case, then how much, how much feedback do you need from a sensory standpoint? Because you are getting feedback. Like, like you don't wear bionic limbs on your legs, but you get vibrations. You, you know, you're, you're aware there's contact. The vibration flows up through the, through the socket into your residual limb and you get some feedback. So then that, that becomes the question. And why it's a question is the only way to get true sensory feedback, as with the upper limbs, is to take a, a, a sole, say, a, a synthetic sole of a foot and put embed sensors in it. And so whenever you're walking on rock or sand or whatever, I mean, it would feed through the sensors and this has information would get fed back to the brain. Well, how would that get done? Right now, the only way to do it is they'd have to, uh, you'd have to undergo surgery and you'd have to implant electrodes and they have to be, you know, paired up to the, to the nerve bundles and then you electrically stimulate. So when the, when the bionic foot, you know, reads that you're walking on, you know, sharp rocks, this gets sent to, to uh, the electrode and the electrode is smart enough through a control system to stimulate, electrically stimulate that nerve to trick the brain into feeling the same thing it would feel if it was walking over pointy rocks. Okay, that's how the system would work. But there are a lot of complications with this because it's surgery, you have risk of infection, you could have scarring, could interfere with the signal. And also it's difficult to stimulate a nerve bundle really precisely so that you get the exact feeling that you're, you, know, you should get. And, and I gave you an example in, our, in a previous interview where you know, you, maybe you touch something with a bionic forefinger, but it's actually, you feel like you're touching it with your pinky. So you can get that kind of imprecision. So the question arises that if you have AMI, you know, do you really need the risk and cost uh, and the imprecision of that neural interface um, to complete the model? Or would it be sufficient to take the same sensors 
and maybe use um, vibrators in, in the socket uh, or uh, TENS, like a, the electrical mm -hmm. simulation of the skin, just to give you the feedback on the things that you need to know, even if it's not duplicating the natural sensory feedback capability. So these are the these are the questions that are going on right now. Um, in uh, and there are the, both models are being pursued, but but I happen to feel that um, unless they find a, a much less invasive, uh, cheaper, less risky way of restoring sensory feedback, I think what you might see are models that combine AMI with bionic devices and limited sensory feedback um, in a non-invasive man manner. I think that's where we may be headed. And I think I'm even further step away from that in that as a double amputee, and I'm, I've been a double amputee relatively short, uh, in a short time, it's only been four years ago, but do I really wanna feel that pebble that I stepped on in a, in a pain sensation? Cause I, and I don't know if, if other amputees feel this when, when they're walking on, on the ground or whatever, but if I do step on a pebble, I do get that feedback through my 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 foot and my socket that sends to my distal end or or my my uh, residual limb that I'd stepped on something other than the ground, and yes. so I know that I have to adjust my hip, or my brain somehow manages to adjust my hips so that I don't fall over, right? Yes. Or I compensate and I I take a further step to balance myself again. And again, I don't know if that because, you know, I'm aware of my body and I'm aware of my space and I'm aware of, and as an athlete, I know how my body works. But do I want to send the pain sensation sent to my brain going, ooh, that's a sharp pebble. You needed to feel that. I didn't think I do. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's questionable too. I, I, you know, the, um, the way that we would like to do this is sort of in a common sort of order of operation sense would be in my, my view, is that if, AMI fulfills its its promise is because that proprioceptive sense is the most important, right? I mean, you need that. You need that. You need to know where your foot is in order to place it. And that goes for everything. I mean, just even walking in the dark, right? I mean, uh, uh, you just need to know that that's, that's essential to, to all of our mobility, both upper and, and lower limb. Uh, so in the, in the order of operations, if one had control over it would be, you'd restore your proprioceptive sense through AMI first. You know, attach a bionic device to it. You know, walk around for a while, and um, and then decide what, if any, additional sensory feedback you needed. You know, beyond because you know, if if you hit your foot on something, a, uh, even a, a mechanical foot on something, there's a sound, there's a vibration, right? You're already getting some of this. So the question is then, what is what would be the gain of additional sensory feedback uh, versus the cost and the risk? Now there is one other factor here. That, that is the phantom pain. And, uh, you know, phantom pain is, is highly problematic for a lot of amputees. Uh, and it's a persistent problem. And um, what they found is in these the early stages of AMI is that it is removing, reducing phantom pain significantly. Uh, and that makes sense because you've reconnected the, the, the limb through these muscle pairings to the brain, right? And so now the brain can feel again, uh, the phantom limb in that sense, not in a true sensory feedback, but in the sense of its awareness of it. Um, the other part of the puzzle on the studies that have been done with restoring sensory feedback in the model I'm talking about, which is a neural interfa interface, the electrodes being implanted, is it also reduces or eliminates phantom pain. So I could see where uh, somebody would want uh, to complete the sensory model, at least to the extent where phantom pain was eliminated. Uh, whether one needs precise sensory feedback, like you say, on whether the rocks are sharp and pointy, et cetera, yeah, that's questionable. And um, 
so I, I don't know how this is all going to unfold, but I am excited at the prospect of, um, you know, sort of completing the model and, and actually not just completing the model. If you think about it, if we restore proprioceptive sense to the position of your leg uh, and uh, whatever sensory feedback you need, and you have all those reactive capabilities of the bionic device, right, that, that you know, 100 times per second, those kind of adjustments, they can exceed natural capabilities. You combine all of this and you're, you're talking about no longer a disability. You're talking about, you know, a net benefit in the functionality, like the actual operating functionality of the limb. And I, I kind of find that exciting too. Right. And actually, and, and while we were talking about that, um, I just, for folks who have osteointegration and, yes. um, you know, and, and a lot of above knee amputees are going into osteointegration now and, and matching that with their genium knee or their microprocessor knees, for Absolutely. example. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So with this perception and sensory perceptions, do I need more perception than, because it, the, the impact of your step is already managed by the bone that it's attached to. Yeah. So uh, I, I think uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, we did a four-part series on the osteointegration. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's a, the, the scientists that we researched or that we interviewed for that four-part series is involved in a very interesting project right now uh, by creating a digital uh, twin of, of the leg. Uh, because as you know, with osteointegration, um, if it works, well, for a person, it's fantastic. But there's a percentage, I think it's up to 20% of people have to have the implant removed through a combination of factors like breakage and infection and stuff. So if it's with the wrong situation, it's, it's the wrong thing to do. And the problem is that it isn't always easy to sort of diagnose you know, that line, like where it's good and where it's bad. And so they're involved in, in um, uh, this project to create a digital twin to help the assessment process. It's a very, it's a fascinating project. And I, you can see it, it's uh, the, the doctor's last name is uh, Frossard, uh, F-R-O-S-S-A-R-D. And he has a recent article that describes, it's called the uh, Future of Bionic Limbs. So you just query the Future of Bionic Limbs by uh, Dr. Laurent Frossard. Um, you'll, you'll be able to read this article. Now, why I'm raising this is um, because you've got now AMI into the equation. So, so we know osteointegration. We know the benefits of osteointegration. We get, we get sensory feedback through, you know, through, through the bone from, from the implant. Um, or I should say through the, the prosthesis up through the, through, through the implant uh, into the bone, uh, which is a, provides a lot of sensory feedback. You get uh, superior control as it is, right? Because now it's attached to you. So I don't know the answer to the question about how AMI would be reconciled with, with, with uh, osteointegration. I'm not sure. But um, I think that people like Dr. Fassard and the type of projects he's involved in um, would assess this sort of thing. And, uh, and try and figure out the ideal model. What I'm excited about is that it appears to, to, to me that all the pieces for full restoration of mobility are on the table, right? They may not have been pieced, assembled all together yet. They may not be as affordable as we need them to be, but I think this may be the first time in history where all of those pieces are sitting there and we're going, okay, we, you know, we understand how to do all this stuff now. We just got to piece it together in kind of the ideal uh, prosthesis. Yeah, to truly make someone bionic at this point right yeah and i like we talked about with the arms and the hands i mean you know they're talking about integrating a chip if you want to make payments they're talking about you know integrating your your uh, essentially your smartphone in it i mean you know you're, you're talking about devices and, and even right now with 360 degree wrist rotation there are things you can do with a bionic hand that you cannot do you know with with uh, a, a real hand or a natural hand so I, I think, uh, you know, the first uh, goal, obviously, is to eliminate uh, all the, the disability aspect of limb difference, 
get rid of the disability aspect of it. But I think that page is going to get turned and fairly quickly after it gets turned, there's going to be, you know, talk about, well, what kind of things can we do to make them even better? You know? Right. So right. I think that's, that's kind of cool. But that's how innovation works. How, how do we make them better? Um, yeah. From, from all your use of research as well, um, have you found any limitation in activities of people who wear um, regular prosthetics and um, microprocessor prosthetics? Well, uh, so uh, uh, yes, I mean, uh, most of the bionic devices, um, you know, uh, discourage any kind of extreme sports. Uh, just they can't stand up. Now, some of them are like the, the JNMX3 is, you know, for extreme sports. Um, but most of them, uh, most of them do not because the devices are still, you know, fragile enough that, uh, like I said, you know, we're getting reports of, of repairs that are not like, uh, not excessive on the lower limb bionics. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure if people started to violate that and use them for extreme sports, those repair rates would go up, go up pretty high. There's, there's the water and dust restriction for some devices. Um, you know, that's, that's uh, an issue. Um, with the osteointegration, I should note that um, it's pretty much mandated now that when you get osteointegration, it should be paired with um, a, uh, a bionic device. And most of that has to do with stumble recovery. So, uh, you know, breakage of the implant or breakage of the bone are two of the major uh, complications, potential complications, complications with osteointegration. And one of the ways that they avoid this or reduce the risk of that is through a bionic device. And uh, because of the stumble recovery and a, a fall avoidance, so they're they're pairing these together so that we reduce the risk of damage to the implant. How much um, do they weigh? So on our devices, all our device articles, we give all of this information, including the weight, and it, and the weight varies uh, quite considerably. Uh, so for example, the the, the Kinevo is the lightest bionic knee at uh, 0.92 kilograms. Right, so it's it's almost uh, that's about two pounds, right? Um, and the maximal allowable weight for that is 125 kilograms. But I think if we looked at uh, maybe one of the heavier knees, I mean, for example, the Empower ankle, which is that big bulky device, is quite heavy. Um, yes. And the, the the offset of that, uh, of course, is that um, uh, you know it's got it's got power assist. So I think if we looked at the Oster Power knee, which is kind of in a similar boat, um, it's quite heavy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 2.7 kilograms. So the difference, that's the range in the knees is 0.92 and 2.7. Now, in fairness to the power knee, uh, it does have power augmentation. So people who use it say, well, it doesn't feel like 2.7 kilograms because I'm getting help when I push off, you know, from the knee. Um, but that's kind of a range. And on, and I would think on the devices on the, uh, uh, the ankles, uh, I think the lightest or the heaviest is the M power almost two kilograms or 2,200 kilograms, actually, uh, 2,200 grams, sorry. So 2.2 kilograms when that's in that thing. But uh, uh, whereas the lighter one would be down again around, I, th I think it's about 900 grams. For some reason, they put, they put all the ankle devices in grams, mm -hmm. and the other ones in kilograms. Right. So there's quite a, there's quite a diversity. And, I, and, I'll, and also, as we start to see now, um, you know, devices made for people with lower mobility, uh, you know, that device, like I said, is 0.92 kilograms. That was made specifically because you're, it was for somebody who's walking half speed. They're already having trouble with immobility. So it was made to be um, a lighter device. Okay. And then in, in your, let's talk, let's talk cost. In your research on, on all of this, um, cost not from the range that we were talking about before, but uh, how different countries fund microprocessors. Mm. So, uh, you know, in some countries like the, my uh, adopted country of Thailand, uh, they don't really have bionic knees here. Um, they have a fabulous program, by the way, of free prosthetics made from uh, recycled uh, pop bottles. 
but they're, they're, they're incredibly modern uh, devices and they've got a distribution system and trained prosthetists. Like I said, they're free. So, you know, that's a, that's quite an advance for this, this part of the world. Um, but for the um, Bionic devices, uh, the one who is leading, I think, in terms of, of uh, public funding, public health funding would be the UK, because they just recently, it was only about seven or eight months ago that they added uh, microprocessor knees to their approved list of devices through the NHS. So if you need a microprocessor knee now, if your doctor says, hey, you need a microprocessor knee, you're going to get it and they're going to pay for all of it. Uh, now, the Australia, uh, Australia has a program as well. Um, they, they've created this, I forget the name of it now, I have to look it up, but they created this unified kind of system to deal with um, the, uh, the prosthetic devices, in fact, all assistive technology. And so again, there, if, if you need, uh, you know, a bionic device for your circumstances, you're going to get it through Australia. Canada, as you know, uh, the answer is, uh, I think, generally no, right? I think most people are fundraising, you're getting into the war amps. I forget the figure, this might be a couple of years out of date, but there was a dollar limit that was only, you know, I don't know, 3,500 or 4,000, I forget what it was, but it was a, it was a low dollar limit. Forget the province, it was a low dollar limit for, uh, I th I'm pretty sure it was for a prosthetic knee. And, you know, those dollar limits have to go way, way higher, okay, uh, in Canada. And they should, because, you know, one of the things that people forget is that if we, if we give uh, people these devices, especially younger people, I think everybody should have them, but but if we if we go take the use case of a younger person, if you give them bionic knees or bionic ankles or you know the combo legs that are like the Blatchford links, uh, what's going to happen is you're going to make sure that they have a much more natural gait than they would if they had just a mechanical device, a device that's not adjusting to the terrain that they're on, for example, or their stance or the where they are in their in their um, their stance phase as they roll over their foot, um, and so. What happens is if the device doesn't compensate, the human being does, right? And what is how does the human being compensate with other joints, the hip joint? You know, if you if you've got a if you've got a uh, below the knee amputation and you don't have an, a a device that's adjusting for you like your natural ankle joint and muscles and tendons would, how do you compensate? You compensate with your knee, you compensate with your hip, you compensate with your back, right? And uh, if you if you are a unilateral amputee, you probably have an imbalanced gait to some degree especially if you don't have a bionic device. And so you're compensating with the other side of your body. And all these things are causing wear and tear. So all the Canadian healthcare system is doing by denying uh, bionic lower limbs to those who need them is kicking the price down, increasing the price and kicking it down the road. So if you took a 20 year old who needed a bionic knee or needed a bionic ankle, you gave that to them and, and you created a much more natural gait and you reduced the wear and tear and there's a whole lot of other benefits, you know, in terms of energy consumption, et cetera, um, a fatigue. But if you reduce, just just talk about the joints, if you reduce the wear and tear on all those other joints, right, that person's going to make it to 40 with the right device without damaging a lot of those other joints. If you don't do that and you give them the wrong device, the cheap one, right, that person's going to make it to 40. They're going to need knee surgery, maybe a knee replacement. They're going to need hip work. They're going to have back work. And as that age goes up, those, the, those, the, the price, the penalty for those wrong devices increases. I mean, it's the pain and the suffering uh, discomfort for that individual. I think it's the biggest issue. But even just the healthcare system would just look at that and say, hey, you know, time out. Let's, let's, let's give them the right device and not pay this humongous bill down the road from damaging the, you know, the other parts of their body. And uh, that's something we really need to see change in. And how we're financing this in Canada. 
Right. Uh, the U.S., by the way, as you know, is a sort of completely different system. Um, uh, you're relying on uh, if you if you qualify, Medicare and Medicaid will cover these devices. Okay, and that's the, that's the positive thing. If you do not qualify, you need private insurance. Um, and if you don't have coverage through your insurance or through workman's comp or accident insurance or the, or the uh, defense department, uh, then you're left in the same boat with, as most Canadians, which is that you're fundraising uh, or you're going to uh, great organizations like the War Amps to try and get some assistance. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with this or you're aware of, of, of this as well in Canada there. And I think also in the U.S. about this one, one knee for the lifetime with your insurance. I don't know if you've heard about that, um, but that is very common, or I've heard that very, very common with above knee amputees is that there's a fine print in the insurance, whether it's private or the provincial, or I guess the state or Medicare or Medicaid, that uh, you're entitled to one knee for a lifetime. And I've always argued about a person who gets a knee replacement gets an almost an automatic replacement after 10 years, because that's the life cycle of a new replacement. Yeah, I, I, the policies that I've read, and I have read some of them, I, I don't think that restriction is enforced. I, I don't think it would stand up, to be honest with you, one knee replacement, because your doctor is going to tell you, I mean, you know, what happens when you, you know, your, you, uh, your knee begins to break down, wear out, right? I mean, you need that knee, right? You need the knee. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that, because there's a tug of war going on right now, like uh, organizations like uh, Amputee Coalition in the U.S. Uh, spearheading a lot of initiatives to try and, you know, um, improve the rights uh, of, uh, of amputees and gain access to these devices. Um, insurance companies are under some pressure in, you know, the modern day and age, right? They, they can get embarrassed um, by unfair treatment. Um, so I, I don't know for sure. I haven't done a survey on this type of a clause. I would be surprised if it does exist, I would be surprised if it persisted very much longer because I'd, it's just a totally unreasonable stance, right? You, you're going to need, I mean, as a rule, as a rough rule of thumb, you're going to need a new device every five years. Right. And, 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 and people just, I don't think, um, or people don't make decisions, just don't realize it's a mechanical piece, right? Whether yeah. it's something that you plug in or something that, uh, that you use a screw to, to attach to yourself. Um, they will wear, they, they, yeah. they'll have wear and tears on them, right? And something like a microprocessor knee, you could have microprocessor issues with those knees. They're not charging anymore. The batteries don't last as long. So how can, how can you have a one permanent knee for the rest of your life when you're dealing with all those external things that could affect really your abilities and your, your everyday life? You, you can't. In fact, in fact, the short-sightedness, especially in, you know, I, I love Canada, but my home country, but the short-sightedness, um, you know, our healthcare policy with regard to amputees in Canada is, is, is on so many layers. So we have the issue of, you know, the, the sustaining or incurring a, uh, unnecessary damage to other body parts, other joints. Um, that's a big one. But the other one is even from a cost perspective, you know, if the government would just step up and say, look, uh, every amputee in Canada, lower limb amputee, uh, who who uh, can benefit from a bionic device is going to get one, what would happen as a result of that? Well, you'd drive up the sales volumes. You, you could go to these companies and you could say, because these companies are getting, you know, getting one-offs because people have to go do fundraising and this and that. You could go to them instead and say, look, I got an order here for you know 6,000 or 10,000 knees, bionic knees. Give me a good price on them. And they'd be in a position to drop that price. Right. So a little forward thinking is you, you know, if you let's just take a figure and said, well, 10,000 people, we're going to do, we're going to do this for 10,000 people. You drop the price of the devices, 
right? The, the short-term purchase price of the devices. You'd eliminate the damage to the uh, other joints uh, on, in the person's body, the other healthcare problems that would result if you do this. So you're saving money on the purchase. You're saving money down the road because they're not incurring those that, that physical da damage from having an, uh, an imbalanced gait. Um, and you're, you know, you're, you're helping the people, setting the people up for a path, like you said, to success, right? They contribute to society, they participate in society, they can do everything everybody else can, because we're getting to that point where these, these devices can restore mobility. And so it's just like win, 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 win. I don't see the downside of it. And I don't understand why they just don't step up and take care of it. Mm -hmm. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely agree. Now let's go back to biotics for everyone. So you guys do a lot of research. We've talked about that. Um, where you know, where, where do you see, other than the AMI that we've talked about and the sensory changes, what are some of the, the things that you think is coming up for lower limb prosthesis? Well, I think, I think you know, that, that uh, osteointegration, uh, AMI, uh, the notion of proactive control, and some degree of, of uh, sensory feedback as it needed, I think those are really the areas where, you know, we're going to see the advancements now. Uh, in that the, uh, the 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 primary functions of the micro microprocessor knees and ankles, um, you know, have been have evolved to the point where they're quite they're quite good. There's always room for improvement, but the the, the basic functionality is there. Um, so those are the areas that I I, I see. I, I I think that probably the concern I have in uh, the lower limb bionics is the barrier to entry. So one of the catalysts in the upper limb bionics for driving prices down and making these things more accessible uh, is 3D printing. So the hero arm is 3D printed, the true limb is 3D printed. Uh, and this is possible with the upper limb bionics because they're not subject to the same stresses, the same force uh, that you have with lower limb bionics. And also the, the, the fact is that, um, you know, most of the bionic arms and hands come with warnings about operating heavy machinery and stuff that you shouldn't you shouldn't rely on it. So, the, you know, ha having a breakage occur on a bionic arm is probably not going to be catastrophic. So that is not true of a lower limb, right? So somebody's coming down the stairs and the, and the leg breaks. I mean, that could be completely catastrophic. So I think there'd be a lot more uh, cautious about uh, implementing uh, 3D printing on lower limb bionics. I know people are trying. But you know we have to get to the point where they're basically indestructible or they're just as strong as as um, the other components uh, before we're going to see the barrier to entry uh, lowered because right now you've got to be a company with deep pockets because uh, it's not just you know designing the device building a device which consists of a lot of different parts you know assembling the device you have to have the distribution network sales because of the because of the heavy reliance on insurance you have to have teams out there you have to have a loaner program i mean you have to have deep pockets to get into the the lower limb game you do not have to have those pockets to get into the upper limb game and um so we really need to see some kind of breakthrough that expands competition in in the lower limb bonics to get the cost reduced and i think that's the other area aside from the technical areas the other areas where i i think you know people are trying to chip away at mm-hmm and you think Kihar has a few more tricks up his sleeve? I do. I do. I think the man's an absolute genius and he's so passionate, you know. Uh, and obviously, you know, as, as, a, as a, a double lower uh, limb amputee himself, um, you know, he's got, uh, he's got a very strong desire. As, as you know, he said, he said, we, we can eliminate disability this century. And uh, he's talking about mobility, disability. Maybe talking about many other things too. Um, but and I think he's gonna. He's already played a, cr a crucial part in this. 
uh, and I think he's he's going to continue. And there are others too that are mavericks. You know, he's a maverick, right? I mean, he's, he's just, I don't know where he comes up with his ideas. He's assembled a great team there. And uh, uh, every time I read about one of his breakthroughs, I just go, wow, is that, is that ever intelligent, the way that they've approached this? Um, but there are others that are, are, are worth mentioning as well. You know, we talked about uh, uh, open bionics, tear arms, uh, Joel Gibbert uh, over there. Um, you know, they, they made a breakthrough of a different kind. They were the first ones to say, we're going to make these devices look ultra cool. Uh, and this is happening in the lower limb market too, as you're aware. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the pictures on social media of these lower limb covers that are, that are just so artistically beautiful that, um, you know, it, it used to be one of the things that, that, um, that bothered amputees is if anybody uh, saw the prosthetic and stared at it, right? And because it made them feel self-conscious. But now these things are so beautiful. Uh, I did an interview with um, called the Ascetics of Prosthetics, the, the revolution in the Ascetics of Prosthetics, a company called Limart out of uh, the UK. And they're making these covers so beautiful that people who previously tried to hide their, their prosthesis are showing them off. So, so women are wearing miniskirts, uh, you know, or, or skirts showing their prosthesis. Men are wearing, wearing shorts. And they're so, these things are so creative. I mean, you look at them, you, you, you want to stare at them, but you want to stare at them because they're so attractive. Uh, and uh, people are proud of them, so I, I, that's a really that's a really cool development. Yeah, no, I have a couple myself from all else. Um, okay, I have my tattooed ones. Um, yes, which were done by Chronic Ink Tattoos because I love tattoos, and so why not, right? Make it make it unique, make it unique for myself. Uh, you know, someone who's passionate about tattoos, and uh, and have them on my my covers, and then I also have covers from all else that light up. Right? Yeah, and they, <laughs> and they they do look and the whole point of of that design was to make it all look like robotic like make it look you know yeah. that i am bionic right so and so it, it twinkles and lights up um it lights up my way at night <laughs> when i'm wearing them and and people look kind of takes a double take and says or i i, I guess in their mind going what did i just see you know this guy walking and these two shiny things are lighting his way yeah you know, and, and blinking in, in the, in the dark. So have you cool. also found, have you also found they've broken the ice in conversation? I mean, and I'll ask you, I'll tell you why I'm asking because the guy from Limart that designed it, what happened was um, he, he did it. Uh, he was, uh, what do you call it? Flagpole syndrome. This is his verbiage, not mine. Um, where he was one of these guys that is like you, he, he walks uh, around. You can't tell that, that he's an amputee because he's got great mobility, uh, but he was in the business world and he'd wear business pants. And if the breeze blew his, his pant leg, uh, would wrap around um, the the prosthesis, right? And he called it flagpole syndrome or something like that. Uh, and so he said, you know, I'm going to put a cover on there to, to restore the shape of the leg. And he did that. And then he had some spare paint one day and he painted this. Anyways, this emerged, this evolved in this company called Limart. And uh, when it occurred to him, when he decided to make a company was for Christmas, he did what you did. He put the Christmas lights on it. He said, this looks so good. I'm going to put a pair of shorts on, which you wouldn't normally do, right? And he, and he went to the supermarket and he was standing in line and a little boy was standing on him and he started to ask him, but, but it was like, Oh, cool leg. And, and, you know, he turned around and the mom was there and, and uh, you know, sometimes, and, and I, I'm going to go to this too. Like sometimes you don't know exactly what to say, right? If you see, if you see somebody with a limb difference, you, you don't want to say the wrong thing. You get a little bit nervous about it, right? You want, you want to, you want to engage with the person and you, you know, it's a person just like you're a person in every other respect. It's just, you don't want to say the wrong thing when you know it. And what he found was that this thing was, Oh, wow, cool, beautiful leg. And then that all just melted away, right? He just, that, that, that's gone. Now you're just normal people sitting there talking and that, that moment of awkwardness, of, which is really a matter of uncertainty was gone. 
And these, these covers were doing this. And then as he started to do it with hundreds and then thousands of customers, they were all telling them the same thing. Yeah, no, for me, you. yeah, for me, it was, I mean, I, you know, uh, the pole syndrome, I guess. I'm, I don't typically wear pants unless I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at the office, but um, now that I'm working from home, I don't, yeah. um, I'm, I just wear shorts all the time. Yes. And I've always worn shorts. I'm also Canadian. So then even before I became an IPT, I wore, I wore shirts in the winter. That's just yeah. a Canadian thing to do, right? Yeah. We got our we got our our uh, our Birkenstocks and our shorts, even in the winter. <laughs> yes. um, that's just that's just how Canadians are made. But um, no, absolutely, it's it's a great conversation opener. It's a great icebreaker, right? And and I'm one of those who, and I think my listeners can tell now, I'm one of those who are open to finding an opportunity to educate and inform. And so yes. I don't take any offense at all in in somebody saying those are really cool, and I get a kick out of them going, "Thanks, buddy." You know, like that. That's really great because. Again, when people see me on the street, even without my covers, and they say, wow, cool legs. And I'm like, awesome, thanks, man. You know, and, yeah. and, and it, it has a different effect for me um, in, in that I have embraced my disability and my, my amputation because, again, it has given me a life that I didn't think that I was going to have in a more positive light instead of a negative light. Yeah. Right? Um, um, the things I'm doing today, I wouldn't be doing had I not been in the, in the journey I've been. Um, and so, yeah, uh, for me, it's, it's just that cool factor. Uh, why not make something great out of the circumstances I've got, right? And, yeah. and so it's a mindset as well. And so for me, yeah, um, showing off my legs, showing off, you know, what I've overcome and yes. showing off my identity in, in the, and my creativity in, in the way that I wear my prosthetics is, you know, I think personal to me too. And so yeah. if, it, if it opens up the conversation, then I welcome that. It's a great opportunity yeah. to learn. Yeah, and I think we're at a, also at a turning point, which I really, really, uh, you know, uh, happy to see. I've only been in this uh, area for a short time, but I'm, st I'm still ecstatic to see it happening around us. And that is that, that, that conversations are being opened up everywhere, right? And so that we're, we're, we're it feels like a sea change going on. And it's a sea change for the better. Um, and that we're seeing, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you do this because I spend a lot of time uh, on social media and YouTube just researching stuff. The extraordinary feats, right, of, of what we call disabled athletes. Um, I mean, some of these are so extraordinary uh, that you're, you're just, it just, you're just jaw dropping, right? I mean, I, I saw a kid with, uh, um, it was, he was a unilateral amputee, crutches, uh, playing soccer. And I swear to you, he was a better more skilled soccer player than I was when I was 13 years old and playing soccer a lot. You know what I mean? Like it's, it was just, just jaw dropping. And we see it all the time. We're seeing it all the time. And I think what it's doing is, and one of the beauties of social media uh, is it's opening the eyes of other people to the fact that, you know, yeah, this is an injury or it's a disease that, that occurred that resulted in the loss of a limb. But other than that, it's not limiting. There, there are people doing, there are people climbing, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro. There are people, you know, uh, paddling across the ocean. There are people participating in sports. There are people, you know, pursuing every career imaginable, uh, whether it be, uh, uh, you know, uh, a fighter pilot or, uh, you know, in, in military, whatever it might be. And this is all open to everybody now. And uh, the better we develop these devices, uh, the more this will occur. That's my feeling on it. Right. No, absolutely. And I, and I think what you guys are doing is, is important. And we talked about this on the last episode as well about, you know, having, having that knowledge base and having that information that's available to, to the layperson, if you will, right? Yeah. Um, and not always in clinical talk, I think is very helpful. And we've talked about this in the past as well about, 
you know, being informed. And, and I like the way you put it earlier, and it's skipping my mind right now, but about empowering through information uh, or to that. Yeah, and an, an informed patient is an empowered patient. You know, what we do is we read all these articles about the technologies and the devices and the research, and then we bubble them all up. It's like a pyramid shape. And at the very top of one of them is, a, is our complete guide. So we have a complete guide to bionic arms and hands and a complete guide to bionic legs and feet. And anybody who is, is, is looking for a bionic device can start knowing nothing and can just start with those two guides because those guides have in them an explanation of you know what these things are, uh, how they work. They have connections. They have links to all of the devices that are available on the market and all of the background technologies like the control systems and pattern recognition and neuro interfaces. And, and all of them are linked into those guides. So you can literally go to the guide and just click on links and, and on any subject that interests you, subtopic that interests you and get all the information there. And now why we did that was, uh, and it's all in layperson language because I'm a layperson. Uh, so it's easy, easy for me to write that way. Um, but why we did that is we want every single patient who sits in front of a prosthetist to know what's going on with the technology, be able to ask the right questions and insist on exploring the options that may be the best options for them. And, you know, the good prosthetists, of which there are many, don't mind that at all. I think they're, they're happy to, uh, to have those conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I always advocate for that about knowing what, you know, what is available to you. My experience with my prosthetist is that because I'm invested in my care and that I know what I'm talking about is that we have a conversation that is actually productive. Yes. I question him because of, you know, of what I've learned. And then he can respond to that. And then he and I can have an open conversation in how we will deal with my care, with my, yes. with my prosthetic care. So, you know, it's better, it's benefited both of us. So um, where could people find those two links or all the links so, to your articles? Yeah. So what they do is they, they can go to bonnexforeveryone.com and uh, on our main menu down there under the mobility, you'll see, uh, you know, arms and hands and legs and feet. And that brings you right to the guide. So basically you, you just, Go to, go to that, and that guide is your starting point, and you, you can get access to everything in there. So, Right, and where else can people uh, find you? Oh, go so ahead. So we're also, we, sorry, we also have, uh, we're also on Twitter. Uh, we're on uh, Facebook. Uh, we're also in, uh, in the case of, uh, I think we're in 24, 25 amputee support groups on Facebook, uh, as well as our main page. We're on LinkedIn, and we're on Instagram. And so all of our articles, as they come out, they get, they get broadcast through these different channels. And um, we're also shared, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but we're shared, uh, our content is shared on Disability Horizons in the UK, a very large magazine. Uh, and it's also uh, shared more selectively, like depending on what they're writing about by uh, Amplitude Magazine in the US, both of which are really high quality magazines for, uh, for uh, those with disabilities. Right, no, that is great, perfect. I know that microprocessor or bionic prosthesis looks really cool, but it can be very daunting to, to learn about. So it's great that bionics for everyone has compiled a great resource and knowledge area to fill the gaps that sometimes missed uh, when discussing bionic prosthesis with our prosthetist. There's a lot of information on the website, so make sure you check that out. I wanna thank Wayne Williams again at Bionics for Everyone for joining me today. I'll share all the links on my website at www.airstopthinking.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Amputeer Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been The Amputeer Show Podcast.